This is Prayer Room Companion, episode 87, recorded February 8th, 2012. Religious Liberty, the first freedom of the Constitution. Welcome to Prayer Room Companion. I'm Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. Uh, and I uh, apologize for all those of you who are... Um, who are uh, patiently or impatiently awaiting last week's episode. We had a scheduling mix-up and uh, life intervened, and uh, we didn't get to record um, last week's episode, but we're here. Basically, I got stood up at my laptop. I was sitting here waiting and waiting, and they never showed. Lying is particularly unbecoming of a priest, I always thought. (laughs) What about storytelling? (laughs) Storytelling is very good. Um, okay, good. Uh, so I'm, I'm waiting for the uh, the uh, the rising action now. Um, so, if, if Father Father and I had talked about some some different things, but there are some very t- sometimes we try to be timely. Sometimes we don't care. Uh, but, <laughs> but there's a, a timely timely issue, timely topic, timely topic to discuss uh, this episode. And so, before instead of talking about the weather, let's just get right to it, Father. Um, Although it would be good to mention that if you have your own timely topic that you would ever like us to talk about here at the Prairie Rome Companion, do send an email to Dr. Chris Bergwald, to me. which is at cbergwald, B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D, at sfcatholic.org. That's cbergwald, C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D, at sfcatholic.org with ideas or comments or quips or anything like that that you'd like us to know at Prayer Room Companion. Absolutely. Um, we, we, uh, it, it, not to be cheesy, but we, we, we're, this is meant to be a service. Father and I like talking to each other, but, uh, but, but hopefully the point here is to inform and educate and to some degree catechize uh, those of you who put up with us um, week after week after so um, yes, let's. Uh, Is there anyone else who gets up with this week after that, week after week? What? What? I Do we have that sort of a consistent audience? I, I, have I, we done I the analysis? I hope so. The Nielsen rating. Can break it down. Here we go. Okay. Anyway, um, persecution, Father. You know, I, I think uh, sometimes we we hear about, and there's an article that I'll let you talk about in a minute. But we hear a lot recently about the Arab Spring. You know, there's in Egypt, certainly now in Syria where um, uh, people that, uh, in those countries are rising up or have risen up against their, their um, oppressive governments, uh, seeking out their freedom and so on. But as, as some people have pointed out, many people have pointed out, we just don't often hear about it, um, persecution happens all over the world, and particularly with regard to Christians. Uh, Christianity. There's a study. Uh, I, I, I can't recall exactly. I'll have to look up. There's a there's a um, an organization in Germany, a secular organization, human rights organization, that had done a study last year and found that I think something like eighty percent. I'm pretty sure eighty percent of every act of of violence for some agenda was perpetrated against Christians. In other words, if somebody was upset about something because of the, what they believed, 80% of the time the victim was a Christian. That's 80%. Uh, it, it's been, some people have, this has been a little bit more well known. The 20th century was 
was this this greatest century of martyrdom on the part of Christians in all 20 centuries of Christianity, I think combined, the previous 19 combined. More people died uh, for Christianity, certainly than any other century, and maybe than all the other centuries combined. So this idea that maybe in, in, in the United States, in the Western world, by and large, you know, freedom of religion and so on. Um, but I, I think, Father, that sometimes we are woefully unaware of the fact that our brothers and sisters in Christ, including certainly Catholics, are literally dying around the world because of their faith today. Nice use of the word woefully. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're very insulated. I mean, we know that we're very insulated in the United States, uh, just in terms of world perspective. You know, and we, we talk about overcrowding in the United States. We have no idea of, like, you know, Mexico City or Beijing or Hong yeah. Kong or uh, Mumbai. Uh, you know, we talk about uh, poverty, you know, here in the United States and, you know, a few exceptional places, you know, some of the reservations in uh, southwestern South Dakota, places of Appalachia, New Mexico, uh, El Paso. But aside from those places, I mean, really, poverty in the United States is nothing compared to even wealth or middle class in uh, much of the world, let alone their poverty. And so this is just another one of those ways where in some ways we're kind of losing. So I apologize for that. We had some technical, technical, eh, technical difficulties. I'm going to invite Father just to recap. Father, your, your, your brilliant... Verbal difficulties apparently as well. Yeah, exactly. You're... you're, uh, you're... I'm going to take my, back my brilliant comment right now, then, because of that insult. Father, what did you just say? <laughs> the only time you ever hear me uh, quote uh, Hans Kung on this program. Yeah. So as I was saying, um, the, uh, uh, so the, the issue of you know, the, the 20th century being the most persecuted century uh, for Christians, in fact, more martyrs, uh, Christians, Catholics who have died for the sake of the faith, in the 100 years of the 20th century, as well as the 1900 years of the 19th century previously, um, that uh, uh, we're a little oblivious to the United States, but then again, we're kind of oblivious to everything on a world scale in the United States. Right. We're oblivious to poverty. Um, you know, our conception of poverty here is, is grossly out of line with poverty in India. Um, you know, our, our, our conception of uh, space you know, uh, you know, especially out here in the prairies, even but even in places like New York City or Los Angeles, you know, the conception of space and personal space is much different than other places in the world, um, where they've just never had that sort of space or not in the past couple hundred years. So we're just a little oblivious to some things like that on a world scale when it comes to the United States. Right. And and the the the, the well, I don't know. The ironic thing, certainly, it, it strikes me that we we have so much more knowledge about, I mean, instantaneous, virtually, knowledge about what's going on in other parts of the world, and yet, how many of us are aware of things like this? I just, I, I was watching, there's those, the TED conferences, the TED Talks that you can watch on YouTube or at the website TED, um, the, these uh, various subjects are discussed. Just saw a little bit of one, I think yesterday, a uh, speaker talking about how Facebook and Google and other companies will um, try to return to you what you think is most relevant. So with Google, um, if you're signed in, the most relevant search results. Even if you're not signed in, they they, they through your um, 
internet service provider through they know roughly where you are in terms of what city or um, you know geographically roughly where you are, and so they will return to you uh, using that and other signals, other data that they have access to, um, search results that they think will be more relevant. So the the, the speaker in this talk. Uh, referred to a quote by uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, um, who said something to the matter of, you know, we'll want to return to you. If you're more interested, you might be more interested in the rabbit that dies um, outside your house than somebody who's starved to death in Africa. And we want to return results to you. We want to give you the information that we think you're going to be uh, more interested in, what's more relevant to you. Uh, and, and so you, just the irony that with all this information, maybe because of too much information, our priorities can be sometimes seriously whacked out. So what, kind of, what sort of web search, uh, when you type in starving people in Africa, returns a hit for dead rabbits outside your house? Oh, jeez. I don't know. Ask Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, there's something almost kind of silly with that. Just be, Well, anyways, I don't want to go there. Let's, let's not go into that. But that's true. I mean, kind of that isolation. So that there is persecution going on of Christians in the world. You know, and uh, in fact, just this week, uh, there's an article in Newsweek um, by a uh, by an author uh, who grew up in the Middle East, and uh, you were saying you think uh, she was raised Muslim and then has become an atheist. I think that sounds uh, correct. But talking about the untold story of uh, of persecution of Christians in uh, the Muslim world right now, and it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty amazing article um, of the things that we just don't think about. Yeah, just we're unaware of. Uh, any any particular excerpts or things from the article that you wanted to highlight, or just uh, general encouragement to take a look at it? I think general encouragement to take a look at it. You can find it on Newsweek's homepage. Um, but uh, um, you know, it's 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 really kind of stunning because again, this is not things that are going to make the headlines of CNN, Fox News, uh, the New York Times. I mean, these things aren't. You have to hunt these articles down for the most part. So this is a pretty rare article. Uh, on, well, I mean, I don't know if Newsweek really could be considered a national publication anymore, um, but on a decently major publication. Absolutely. And the fact, again, it's the cover story, as you pointed out, um, is all the more um, surprising, frankly, for the reasons that you just, that you just explained. So, it's, so there's persecution going on around the world, that we're, people literally being killed for their faith. Uh, and, and just to be aware of that, I mean, first and foremost, to pray for them, but also, you know, I mean, Sometimes uh, it comes up as a matter of public policy, and it's worth, I think, informing ourselves about that and, and mentioning our concerns for human rights of, of, of people everywhere in the world to our elected representatives. Um, speaking of contacting your elected representatives, forced segue to the next uh, topic that we want to talk about along these lines. You know, Father... The bishops of the United States have been concerned for some a little uh, some time now um, that that the maybe more that there are more subtle forms of persecution that are on the horizon in our own country. Uh, not we're not being melodramatic here. Not talking about you know Catholics being imprisoned or certainly killed, uh, but still um, people of faith and maybe Christian faith and Catholic faith in particular. Um, being persecuted 
or in some way, shape, or form. Again, not wanting to be overly dramatic about this. Um, what's what's the context, Father? Do you want to handle this, or do you want to throw it back to me? Well, certainly. Um, the uh, um, the issue of um, um, the the health and service health and human services department has uh, issued a uh, mandate with part which is part of the Affordable Health Care Act, the uh, law passed in the two thousand nine that it was passed. Yep, February 27th. Yeah. And so this law passed, uh, had many parts to it, as one uh, notorious statement was said by uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, you have to pass the bill to find out what's in it. One of the things that we're finding in this bill is a mandate requiring, or at least the uh, authorization of the Health and Human Services Department to mandate, among other things, uh, that all health insurance plans, all health insurance plans, uh, provide uh, for their uh, uh, those that they cover, um, and not just in the public sector, but in the private sector as well, to offer coverage for uh, contraceptives, uh, sterilization procedures, and uh, uh, drugs that have an abortifacient effect. Mm-hmm. And so this is, uh, of course, against uh, the... Uh, the morals of Catholics, but would require Catholic institutions to do this. And so this is what uh, the bishops and you should be very upset about, dear listener. Absolutely. Going back several months last summer, well, as you, even when this was passed, the sort of, you know, some awareness that, that things like this were in the bill, the law, um, once it was signed by the president. Um, and, and then with this and also... Uh, uh, other issues like the push to legalize um, same-sex marriage, the bishops in the United States have, have been growingly concerned that, growingly concerned, that's not growingly isn't a word, increasingly insert, concerned that, that there's going to be a conflict between um, same-sex marriage or mandates about uh, contraception uh, for health care coming into conflict with uh, religious freedom. The first freedom articulated in the Bill of Rights. Uh, you know, for, when people think of the First Amendment, we oftentimes think of freedom of the press. The first, um, the first freedom mentioned in the First Amendment uh, in the Bill of Rights is, in fact, freedom of religion. Um, and, and the bishops have been, as, as I said, concerned about this for some time. Last summer, uh, they established an ad hoc committee um, on, on this, actually last fall, I think September, an ad hoc committee to, to be prepared to mobilize Catholics and, and to come up with a response from the Bishops' Conference as a whole um, to issues pertaining to religious freedom. And in January last month, when, when the Health and Human Services Department came out with their decision that they would not allow an exemption for institutions uh, of a religious nature who service people belonging to different religions or employ people belonging to different religions, uh, not just the bishops, but the bishops almost as, as a whole, almost unanimously, I think, as well as various other Catholic leaders of all stripes and all theological persuasions were up in arms. Uh, you know, Father and I, you, you and I both talked, remarked the fact that um, this, this action has managed to do something that Pope Benedict hasn't been able to do it's something that hasn't church, happened in the church in 40 years, that is, unite that the is. bishops and to some degree unite mm-hmm. the church around this particular issue. Right. You know, it's, 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 it's almost humorous. I first heard that from actually the, uh, 
campus parish uh, director, not the priest, but the director, Marcel Lejeune, who works at uh, St. Mary's on Texas A&M. And uh, incredibly witty lay to say, but it's, 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 the, uh, it's the truth right now. And it's, uh, it's, it's amazing what this is bringing about. It is. I mean, you've seen people, you know, the, um, the National Catholic Reporter is widely regarded as one of the leading, more very liberal Catholic publications. And one of their writers, writers um, uh, Michael Sean Winters, or Sean Michael, Michael Winters, Sean Winters yeah. uh, was immediately red hot about this. And this is, this is a man who uh, has defended himself and other Catholics who supported President Obama during his, uh, his campaign. Um, and said that you know he's 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 going to do the right thing by Catholics and so on, um, and and <laughs> and Winters and again others like him are very upset about this, and they're very much in agreement with with the U.S. bishops uh, that this ne- this will not stand, that this needs to be changed, rectified, and undone. The Father, I think um, it should be clear: the issue is. Frankly, the, the only the only way that you can be exempt from this mandate. So, what this mandate says is that. So, I, I work for the Catholic Diocese. The Catholic Diocese offers me uh, health care coverage, um, and right now, according to the interpretation of the law, according to this mandate, the Catholic Diocese would be obliged to to pay for completely. In other words, to give free contraception. Uh, to to anybody who so so the pill particularly we're talking about to any woman um, in who's covered by this plan uh, that means that I would be paying for it and the diocese would be paying for it uh, and the only way to be to be exempted from this mandate is if the the employer only employs people of that religion and only serves people of that religion so the only way for the diocese um, and Catholic colleges and schools and hospitals to avoid violating their own consciences, that is, following church teaching, is to turn away people from other, of other faiths who want to work there or who want to receive the services, which pretty much would rule out the whole point for which we do this. So some people pointed out Jesus and the apostles wouldn't be able to fit under this exemption because they serve people of other beliefs. Right. Right, and so that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the ludicrous, uh, uh, what's, well, it's the outlandish reach of this mandate, but it also raises another question, which I think needs to be asked, is what is the ultimate goal of this mandate? What do you think it is? Well, uh, I think it's part of, as Pope Benedict uh, warned about, uh, actually, uh, prophetically, uh, and providentially, the very day before this mandate was announced, he warned against the uh, the creep of radical secularism. Mm-hmm. And radical secularism is a philosophy. It's not necessarily tied to one political party or another. I mean, here we might be seen expressed in the Democrat Party, but it's something that certainly can be expressed by Republicans, Libertarians, yep. anyone of any political stripe. Um, so I do, this is certainly not a donkey or elephant issue. Right. Um, necessarily, but this is radical secularism, and radical secularism wants to force all religion from the public square. Radical secularism wants to force all religious motives, talk, and thinking uh, to be relegated entirely to private uh, and have nothing to do in public. And this is certainly an effort that would, because um, 
in order for us, you know, as you were saying there, you know, if we offer anything to any non-Catholic, if we ever employ a non-Catholic, a non-Catholic janitor, you know, a non-Catholic uh, technical guy uh, to record our podcast because the old one wasn't doing a good job and kept on goofing up our recordings. Exactly. Um, if that if that happened. If that happened. But, you know, then that we would not be able to uh, uh, to be exempt from that from that sort of healthcare situation. So um, it, it ghettoizes us. It isolates us. It would force us to choose one, either to violate our conscience, our beliefs, or to pull back from uh, engagement of the public life. Um, and you'll hear uh, some people, Cardinal uh, Wuerl, uh, uh, Daniel Cardinal Wuerl, the Archbishop of Washington, uh, spoke about this earlier in the year when he spoke about um, – Spoke of this down in Houston, I believe, at a uh, red mass, a mass for lawyers and judges, uh, and he spoke about the move towards um, speaking about freedom of worship versus freedom of religion. And so what we see is there's kind of this ongoing secularist move that would like religion not to be anything public, but just in private, done inside four walls, one hour of 168 hours a week, and that's it. And that's it. And that's that radical secularism. So we're seeing a little streak of that. In certain uh, in in this mandate, and I think another two uh, part of what's going into it here, uh, you, um, I think the the more conscious. I, I don't think that the you know this is necessarily a push. We're going to oppose radical secularism, even though that is what's happening. I think the more conscious agenda here is contraception is good and it needs to be made available to everybody. Uh, so this is you know the 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 unfolding of the repercussions or ramifications of the sexual revolutions, mis- well, even going back before, of, of Lambeth Conference 1930, of the separation between the unitive and procreative purposes of sexual love, and that contraception is this just the next manifestation of. So one thing that I, I, I commented on, you know, what other health care, um, form of health care, what other, what other form of medication or what other procedure seeks to prevent the body from working as it ought to? Um, sterilization, you know, I, I, I joke with, with people about this. Sterilization does it. You don't get fixed. You get broken. Um, <laughs> that's what it, it's, it's breaking the way that, that the human body is meant to work. Uh, and, and not to... I mean, this is this is sort of the, the the specific issue in this case. This instance of contraception. We've talked about it before. We don't need to belabor it now. Um, but but it's just it, what's incredible to me is is people who are shaped more by a secular worldview are just astonished by the 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 fact that anybody could see any problem with contraception. That, that anybody would question the 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 obvious goodness of making contraception widely available. Um, so we're, we're seeing at least a two, at least those two uh, factors coming together in this particular instance. Um, Very much. I think it's also telling to look at the res- oh, Go ahead. No, go, go. I was moving on, so you continue with your thought. I was going to move on to something else. Well, so was I. So. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting. Just as a um, as a uh, 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 example of this. We see in, um, you know, uh, David Axelrod, uh, the uh, campaign uh, director for President Obama, um, the re-election campaign director, you know, his comment was, you know, things just need to quiet down. We need to lower our voices on this issue. And because it really, I mean, but basically they're saying your opinion doesn't matter. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're almost saying that they don't want to hear our opinion. They don't want to engage our opinion. They don't think we even have an opinion to give. Um, you know, that because, again, uh, so that's kind of the disturbing part about that, of wanting that religious voice to disappear. Right. You know, and I think, so a couple things. Um, my second point will be along those lines. The thing I was going to mention earlier, you know, right away, um, Archbishop of New York, uh, Timothy Dolan, who's yeah. the president of the conference, was all over this. Um, Archbishop Dolan is yeah. going to be be uh, created. He's been designated. as He's a cardinal designate. He's going to become a cardinal. Um, he's already a cardinal's fan because he's from St. Louis, but he's going to become a cardinal. The only cardinal he ever wanted to be was Stan Musial. Exactly. But he's going to become a cardinal actually next Saturday, the 18th. Um, Archbishop Dolan uh, was very quick on this. And again, his brother bishops have followed him. Our bishop, uh, Paul Swain, came out with a statement on February 2nd last week, uh, which to me was very powerful. Uh, Bishop Swain, um, as many of our listeners may not know, um, was an adult convert, is an adult convert to the faith. He... he, um, he became Catholic and then entered the seminary after a time, uh, um, a career in politics. So he comes from a, a background of having worked in, in the political realm. Uh, and he concludes his letter, which was read, I think, at all of our uh, parishes last weekend. He concludes his, read his or letter. Read distributed, I think. Okay. Um, read or distributed, but he concludes it um, with reference to St. Thomas More. He said, this moment reminds me of the wise words of St. Thomas More, who was also confronted, the, who also confronted the improper exercise of governmental authority and was martyred for exercising his conscience. He declared that he was the king's good servant, but God's first. So must we be the government's good citizen, but God's servant first. I think a, a, just a powerful uh, reference to St. Thomas More and the importance of, of Catholics as faithful citizens um, as citizens of the United States, but also, first and foremost, disciples of Jesus Christ and followers of the Catholic Church, um, we need to make our voices heard, despite what David Axelrod has to say. And the other point, so along what you had just said, this is not just a Catholic issue either. I mean, people of other, uh, other faiths, people of no faith, have come to the defense of of the church or or in agreement with the church's point on on this issue this is not about contraception this is about the imposition of morality um on on a subset of the population forcing them to as Car- as archbishop Bill said figure out a way to violate our consciences which the bishops said we're not going to do so what do we do father i pray that pardon so what do we do uh, well, number one, because we're Catholics and Christians, we pray and fast. Exactly. Yeah, I think that that's the, one of the first thing the bishops are asking for is prayer and fasting. And again, because we recognize that this is that these things build up the body of Christ, uh, it's important that we do it. We're coming up to Lent. It's a natural time when we uh, think about um, increasing our prayer life and, and fasting, at least on those two days. Maybe we could consider fasting a little bit more this Lent because um, the bishops have asked us asked us to for this particular issue. Anything else? The other thing is, uh, look, I don't know if we're going to do an organized one here, but there's certainly um, some great websites uh, you can go to. Uh, uh, is, it, is it Stop HHS Mandate? Stop HHS. Stop HHS.org. Uh, dot com. Dot com. 
stophs.com. Uh, also, the United States uh, bishops on their main site. I think you just go to usccb.org and you'll be able to find the link there, usccb.org slash conscience. Yep. The other thing I think, too, is in your conversations with other people, especially with non-Catholics, it is not a contraception issue. It's a yep. conscience issue. Exactly. You know, so just make sure that we um, we keep emphasizing that in our conversations. Yeah, this is, again, as I, as, as I said, it's, it's about... Um, about uh, the government imposing the government. Uh, its views, or, or its, its morality, in a sense, a morality, on people and forcing them to violate their consciences. We, this, these things go against church teaching. We, we, can get, we could get into the whole conversation about the fact that this is not just religious opinion. It's truth. Um, uh, contraception and sterilization are objective evils. They do harm to the human being. Um, but even apart from that, we're guaranteed religious liberty by our Constitution. And this mandate takes away our religious liberty. Very much so. So, um, so again, one thing that because, yeah, because it prevents us from acting on uh, it prevents us on what we on acting on what we believe. The other thing I think to keep in mind is um, not to not to allow people to hoist the false argument. You know, well, but you know, so many Catholics use contraception. That's not the argument. No. You know, that's not the argument at all. I mean, just because there might be a Muslim who drinks or a, you know, Orthodox Jew who slips in some bacon bits sometimes or something like that, that's not a reason to force, you know, a kosher butcher to sell bacon. Exactly. Exactly. And people have used that analogy. That's what, that's what this mandate is akin to. Um to eat bacon, frankly, to eat pork is, is what this is. So the other thing the bishops have, um, have urged us to consider doing is contacting our elected representatives at the federal level, our, our senators um, uh, and uh, representatives in the House. Um, and, and they haven't said this, but I think it would be worth considering you know, writing to the president as well and urging that this mandate, uh, this decision be reversed. And the traditional exemption, which has always been offered, uh, to religious organizations be reinstated. I mean, this is this is the exemption that we're, we're not asking for anything more than the, what's always been granted. So, Father, any final thoughts as we conclude here? No, except uh, praying. Pray and fast. And fast. Amen. Um, we will be back next week. Next week, uh, give you a preview of what's to come. Lent is, we're recording this on the 8th. Lent is just two weeks away, Father. Ash Wednesday is in two weeks. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So uh, we were gonna be, we're going to be talking about um, Pope Benedict's uh, message for Lent 2012. So if, if you have the time and inclination, you might want to consider looking at it uh, in advance of next week's podcast. But we will dissect it and look at it and analyze it uh, uh, in the next episode of Prayer Room Companion. Thanks for listening and God bless.